following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Ever since Doug first became a minister and the first Sunday, we always had this joke about, well, if I don't feel like preaching, you can just read my sermon for me. I won't tell you exactly how many years later that is. It's never happened before. His voice was raspy enough yesterday that he said, I think this is it. One disclaimer is that I did not rework it to say he said, where it says I, it is Doug making those comments of I. We have some different backgrounds and some different stories, so the I is what Doug is saying. Another thing about this sermon, it was well on the way before the war in Ukraine became a reality. Although it's not designed to deal with the war directly, it may provide a foundation for how to respond. Will you pray with me? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O oh God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Today's sermon is about peace. As I went over it and reworked it, I realized it may be more autobiographical than it should be. But scriptural and theological concepts about peace are so interwoven with my own upbringing and my faith journey that I could not separate them. I hope what I share is scripturally sound and not too distorted by bias and my own personal experiences. There are three premises on which this sermon is based. One, God expects all of creation to live in peace. Two, God expects all of us to live in peace and to use peaceful methods to do so. Three, God grants us an inner peace that enables us to be peacemakers. I do consider these statements to be biblically and theologically sound, and yet I've struggled with them my whole life. I know I have let God down as much as I have pleased God in this regard. I find it hard to be God's peacemaker when I get onto Route 59 after leaving Robinson Memorial Hospital and am returning to Kent. Almost immediately, there is a sign that says the left lane will end. But some people stay in the left lane as long as they can and then try to squeeze in front of me. Some of you are smiling like you know the route we're talking about. Now, if I accelerate just a little bit, that rude driver cannot squeeze in and has to slow down and slip in behind me. But that's not peacemaking. God is not pleased when I think and act like that. I am not letting peace begin with me. I find it hard to be a peacemaker when I'm standing in a long, slow line waiting to pay for the items in my shopping cart. A clerk opens a register two aisles over. I move fast. I ignore anyone behind me. 
I don't see someone closing in from another direction. The undeclared race is on, and sometimes I win. And then, of course, the line that I left speeds up. In these moments, I am not a peacemaker. God is not pleased with me when I think and act like that. I am not letting peace begin with me. I find it hard to be, a to be a peacemaker when my political positions become rigid and hardened. The person who does not see things my way is blind and ignorant. If on election day my point of view loses, I might become angry and hostile. If my point of view wins, it's very easy for me to gloat and brag. And the peacemaking part of me takes a back seat. God is not pleased with such behavior and thinking. I am not letting peace begin with me. And yet I know God expects all of creation to live in peace. God expects all of us to live in peace without destroying one another. And God grants us that inner peace that enables us to be peacemakers. I have learned that if peace is to begin with me, I have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the peacemaker who teaches and shows that which makes for peace. After all, is he not the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers? Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I like to think that if God is love, then Jesus is peace. What an example he was. And just because he promoted peace, by the way, did not mean he was passive. Jesus was not defensive either. He confronted evil head on. He was the advocate for the lost and misunderstood. He stood by the outcast. He spoke up on behalf of the poor. He actively and assertively promoted reconciliation and peace. Glenn Stassen, professor of Christian ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary in California writes, Jesus didn't just say no to anger and revengeful resistance, but commanded transforming initiatives. Go make peace with your brother and sister. Go the second mile. I once heard it suggested to imagine that Jesus might say these words to you and me. I offer myself as a personal model. I come to serve, not to dominate. I come to empower, not control. I come to support, not humiliate. I come to forgive, not punish. I come to respect, not exploit. I come to heal, not injure. I come to nurture, not blame. I come to share, not hoard. I come to love, not hate. 
I come to invite all humans to better reflect the God who created them. And was not Paul reflecting the words and life of Jesus when he wrote, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all, or seek to do good to one another and to all, or everything has become new. And all this is from God who was reconciled through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. There are also these great words of advice from the writer of 1 Peter. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. And then, of course, there were the words of the Old Testament prophets of which Jesus certainly knew. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And from Micah, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? God's longing for peace among his children has been made clear through Jesus, through Jesus' disciples, and through the prophetic words of the Old Testament. That is a great foundation on which you and I can build. Yes, God expects all of creation to live in peace. God expects all of us to live in peace and to use peaceful methods to do so. God grants us an inner peace that enables us to be peacemakers. And now the proverbial bottom line, with help of God, who through his son, Jesus Christ, brings peace to our personal lives, you and I are called to be peacemakers and to let, us begin, let it begin with us. As Jesus illustrated in his life and teachings, this does not mean we have to be passive, namby-pamby, Pollyanna-ish, invisible, non-offensive religious people. Walter Wink, professor of biblical interpretation at Auburn Theological Seminary in New York City writes, Jesus abhors passivity and violence. He articulates a way by which evil can be approached without being mirrored. The oppressor resisted without being emulated and the enemy neutralized without being destroyed. You and I, therefore, can consider where peace is lacking and contemplate the role that we can play as peacemakers. As Christ's advocates for peace, we see countless opportunities. Where have we destroyed another person's feelings of self-worth? And now for an autobiographical digression. Richard was clumsy. He dressed funny. His clothes never fit right, and they seemed to be dirty. Richard had glasses that always had scotch tape holding them together, and they would continually slip down to the edge of his nose. Richard and I began first grade together, and we graduated from high school at the same time. One day in about fifth grade, we were playing softball during recess. Richard was on my team. I was captain that day and got stuck with last choice, Richard. 
we put him in right field. Although I do not remember the particulars, at a crucial time in the game, a ball was hit to right field. The ball hit Richard on the head, knocked off his glasses, and they dropped to the ground. I was angry and found every evil word in my fifth grade vocabulary to ball him out in front of everyone else. He just lowered his head, and fortunately for him, the bell-ending recess rang and the game was over. And I was not proud of myself. A couple days later, I apologized. Richard said, oh, it's okay. He had to be forgiving since he had so few friends. Anyway, that happened over 70 years ago, and I still remember it, and am still ashamed. I hope that my cruel attack did not scar him for life. I do know that he had the highest grades in the school, and I have no doubt that he is sitting on at least one PhD by now. I suppose that we have all hurt somebody at some time or another, but have we neglected an opportunity to make peace? Where can we initiate reconciliation between family members, coworkers, neighbors, friends? Where is someone so angry, hurt, and wounded that God even appears to be an enemy and not a friend? I am convinced that God agonizes over how easy we find it to alienate others and how we, reluctant we are to risk attempts at peacemaking. But as people of faith, we need to find ways to reverse such fear and apprehension. These opportunities for peacemaking go beyond just our own familiar interpersonal relationships. As peacemakers, we can be at work within our community or our nation. What about the conflicts between parents and librarians in schools around appropriate or inappropriate books for children? What about the disagreements in regard to issues dealing with sexual identity? What about communities where there are challenges related to more new home development construction versus concerns about protecting the natural environment? And we cannot reflect upon peacemaking without a consideration of war. War certainly cannot be God's preferred way of resolving conflicts. Is God pleased when his children settle their disagreements by killing each other? I don't think so. There are obviously many complicated and complex social, political, and practical issues that are raised around war. I also recognize that war has impacted and continues to impact many families in our congregation. But with Christ as our Prince of Peace and with God being defined as love, those who want to live in Christ and Christ's ways can never accept war as inevitable, nor as the best or only answer. Up to the point that the first bomb was dropped on Ukraine proper, world leaders refused to accept that war was inevitable. Diplomatic efforts were in the foreground. 
Maybe other peaceful strategies could have been pursued. Regardless, we must now look to the needs of the wounded, the permanently injured, the homeless, and the refugees. Grief and mourning will follow. I am confident that the United Methodist Committee on Relief will soon be offering ways in which we can help meet the needs of thousands suffering from the cruel results of this war. We will keep you informed. Although it may sound simplistic or naive, we still need to remind ourselves God expects all of creation to live in peace. God expects all of us to live in peace without destroying one another. God grants us an inner peace that enables us to be peacemakers. Our efforts at peacemaking have to travel along two avenues at the same time. One, we are called to stand by the need for peace by publicly witnessing to our belief with words and deeds. I've already suggested that there are opportunities for peacemaking in our interpersonal relationships within our community, our nation, and our world. The thought of accepting this call can be intimidating and can lead to frustrating, futile experiences. Efforts to make peace are not always successful. It can be hard, slow, painstaking work. The second avenue is equally critical and must be going on at the same time. Peace between ourselves and God is vital. The peacemaker's personal spiritual journey cannot be ignored. Our efforts at peacemaking in the world around us will be exhausting unless we are energized and refreshed again and again by God's Spirit. Today's benediction prays that the peace of God abides with you now and forever. Some very important New Testament words come to my mind. From James we read, faith without works is dead. But Paul provides a counterpoint by writing, we are justified by our faith, not by our works. Action is important, but so is the nurturing of one's inner personal journey. How important are prayer, study, and worship? True peacemaking happens when we are persistent in our actions and sensitive to our relationship with God. God grants us an inner peace that enables us to be peacemakers. I was raised by parents who considered peacemaking to be part and parcel of the Christian life. I hope this isn't too autobiographical. I also want to emphasize that my upbringing was not, the, was not the epitome of perfection. But with that in mind, prayer happened in our home several times a day. Family devotions together was a part of our daily routine. Church involvement was the priority in our home life. Sunday was still the Sabbath and was to be a day of rest, one's inner spiritual journey was tended to and cared about. In regards to faith leading to action, my parents never bought me a toy gun, 
and when other kids in the neighborhood let me borrow one of theirs. I was encouraged to just shoot trees and bears. My parents never bought or owned a real gun either. I was told that if a bully challenged me on the playground, I was to walk away. I was never spanked, whipped, or given any kind of what is called physical discipline. Foreign University of Akron students of Islamic, Hindu, and Buddhist faith were entertained in our home when the school was on vacation. As World War II wound down, a Japanese-American couple lived in our home for a year. They had just been released from a relocation camp where they had been involuntarily placed. These are but a few examples of how my parents believed one's faith should be lived out. All of these things were set up because I was told this was how we could help God work for peace in our world. Even though I might have challenged, wondered about, and questioned some of the principles at the time, I can see now what it was all about. I was being taught that peace could begin with me and that God expects all of creation to live in peace. God expects all of us to live in peace without destroying one another. God grants us an inner peace that enables us to be peacemakers. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for trusting us to care for your creation, to spread your love, to reach out to those who suffer, to be agents for your peace. <clears throat> Forgive us when we betray your trust, when we put self first, when we let prejudice and hate tempt us, when we allow fear to dominate our decision making. Help us, God, to turn your son, to your Son for the way that leads to you, the way that leads to your Holy Spirit for energy and joy, that leads to a life that shines with compassion and love. We pray this morning for Nancy Lewis, Janice Anderson, and Janet Serkovich. May they feel your presence and love. Our prayers also go to the people of Sawyerwood United Methodist Church. May they continue to faithfully follow your will and mission to the community and world. Oh God, wars and killing dominate too many areas of our world. It is easy for us to accept that it is just the way it is. But as we pray particularly for the people of Ukraine today, let us not forget the many places on earth that resort to violence and hate to deal with conflict, although another way sometimes, be, sometimes seems impossible. May we always hold up your will for peace, and may it begin with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.